Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Welcome, welcome. All right, save it for lunch. I know. I always feel terrible about like interrupting everybody's conversation. But I have a microphone and you will listen to me. Just kidding. Uh, good morning. My name is John or Ash. Um, I've, I think Bo- uh, Boog said last week or the week before he was talking about his friend Buzzy that used to kind of come here at times. And so you've got an Ash, a Buzzy and a bug, just part of the deal here. So weird. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into it. Lord, thank you for this gorgeous uh, day and the privilege of living in such a beautiful place. Uh, Lord, if we haven't already this morning, we acknowledge your presence in this place and are grateful that you surround us and uh, watch over us and hold us. Uh, bless this time as we look into your word. May our hearts be open and our, and our minds uh, to what you have to say, Lord. We want to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible or ushers are here uh, to pass out, if you need a Bible, brought the old school one. I've been touting the uh, phone Bible and all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you need one, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. We'll be in some other places, but that's the bulk of the time we're going to spend is there. We'll also be in Matthew a little bit, so if you're really into jumping around, we can do that today. Uh, I was thinking about what I wanted to share with you all this morning, and I often go back to the words of Jesus. Uh, They're just so good. They're so rich. There's so much there. And the message I want to share with you this morning is an old one, thousands of years old. It's been around for a while. I've probably shared it here before because I think it's one of those things that I need to hear over and over again. I'm just thick, like I don't know about you guys, but oh yeah, you hear something and then you just think, well, I got it, but that's not not my story. I got to hear something like 20 or 30 times before it really starts to sink in. Um, So we're going to go back to this passage uh, that I've been in before, and I think it was very radical back then, and I would say that today it is extremely radical today. Uh, And what I want to talk about is what Jesus wants from us, what he desires of us. Um, And then I want to talk about why what he wants is so difficult for us to do. And then uh, we'll talk about if, if we can give Jesus what he wants, if we can do what he desires, uh, that our lives will improve dramatically. So... I have the privilege of meeting with various men and women, some of you in here, well, mostly men, but uh, from all different walks of life. Uh, And sometimes I get to hang out with pastors and elders, like Boog and Jer and others. I get to hang out with pastors and elders, and, uh, and because of some of the ways in which my own life I've been challenged in my relationship with Jesus, I'll sometimes issue those same challenges to pastors and elders. You follow me? Like... In my journey with Jesus, I was challenged 
along the way with certain questions and ideas and thoughts. And so I'll, I'll come into a meeting with a pastor and I'll just ask him, you know, these simple questions. So I remember even this last week I was playing golf with a bunch of pastors. It was called the Pastors Masters. Um, I'm serious. That's what it was called. And it was this ministry thing and I got invited to it. And uh, so at the Pastors Masters, I'm riding in a cart with a, a friend of mine who's a pastor in San Clemente. And I just, you know, throughout the challenge. You know, I don't do this with people who don't know Jesus, by the way, who aren't studying the scripture. I'm not like, hey, it's, you know, sword drills, you know, here we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I ask him uh, just simple questions like, hey, uh, tell me, what did Jesus say he desires? Uh, and, you know, the thing is, is for me, like, when I was challenged with these things, I grew up in a Christian home, very Christian home. My parents were missionaries. I went to every Sunday school class. I was in three different youth groups in high school or something like that. And I went to a Christian college. I led Bible studies. I was in discipleship groups. And I got asked these questions about what Jesus said, and I got all of them wrong. All of them. So to me, there's something there, though. Like, how can you go 20 years of sitting in places like this, hearing people like me talk about Jesus, and still miss it? How? How is that possible? And yet, I got them all wrong. So I'll ask these pastors, because what we ought to be doing is pointing people to Jesus, right? We want to be pointing people to him. Like Andrew, we want to bring people to him. He's the one that does the transformation. So when you ask a pastor, what is it that Jesus wants? What is it that he desires? Uh, I get all kinds of different answers to this question. And, and honestly, like a couple years ago, if you had asked me that question, what does Jesus desire? I would have been like, oh. Like for us to love God and love other people. And that's a good answer, right? Like that's a pretty good answer. But that's just not what Jesus says. But I think about like, as followers of Jesus, we ought to know what he desires. We live in a culture of desire. Would you agree? Here's the thing, like a little turn. In the United States, things aren't great. They're not perfect. Would you agree? Not perfect. Uh, some, this is sort of like the, the plane is about to take a little nosedive. It's estimated that 30 to 60% of all married individuals in the U.S., will engage in infidelity in their marriage. 30 to 60%. Also that one in every 13 adults in the U.S. has an alcoholism problem. So in this room, we've got some issues. Right? Me not excluded. We've got victims. We've got perpetrators. We've got abusers. We've got the abused. Right here. And the more I move on in life, the more I realize that I am all those things because we are so connected. That I am both the victim and the perpetrator. That I am both the abuser and the abused. And as C.S. Lewis says, I am both angel and beast. And so I know that some of you in here are in desperate need of transformation in your life. In fact, I'd argue that there isn't a single person in here, including me, that doesn't want some kind of transformation in their life. 
And so sometimes we come to places like this just at the end, going, what, what do you want from me, God? What do you desire from me? We're curious, you know. We live in this culture of desire where we're told that the things that we desire are actually the things that we need. And the things that we need are actually nothing less than the things that we desire or want. But what is it that Jesus would want from us? What is it that he desires? So I have a few passages I want to share with you, and I'll read them to you. These, Unless you want to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew 9 first, verse 10. I'd have you turn to Luke 7 because that's the longer passage. You can hold your place there. If you're a page turner, you know where everything is. Great. Matthew 9. Uh, it's right at the beginning of the New Testament. And this is talking about Jesus. Verse 10, it says, And Jesus, and he sat down, sat at dinner in the house, Many, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. So Jesus is just having some dinner and with his disciples, and there's a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. Now, when the Pharisees saw this, this is the religious people, they said to his disciples, why does, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, but when Jesus heard them ask this, when he heard this, he said, it's not the, the healthy who need a doctor, right? It's the sick. And then he says this, go and learn what this means. And here you get the answer to my question, what is it that Jesus desire? Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. Mercy. Not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous but sinners. There it is. Jesus tells you something straight up. There's just so many, there's so few places in the Bible where you can just get an answer like that. But there it is. Jesus is like, oh, Jesus, what do you want? And he'll just come right back at a question. What do I want? You know, like it's most of his interactions with people. It's like some response question. It's not, well, what I want is this. And right here, well, what I want is mercy. And I think, what, I think he expects that this is, is going to take us a while to get this one uh, because he doesn't say it and then expect that we're going to go do it, right? No, he says, go and learn. <laughs> go and learn. What if we really learned what it meant that Jesus wants mercy, not sacrifice? And I would submit to you that Jesus knew this would be a rough one for everyone, especially those in the church especially the Pharisees, especially us religious churchy people, because there's this expectation that once you're here, a member, a long-standing member, a volunteer, an elder, a pastor, there's this, once you're in the church, you've got it figured out. You've been washed clean of your sins. Everything's been forgiven. You've been made a new person. And that is all gloriously true. But Jesus also understands that this life is a long and daily process. Because what I've found is that many who are in the churches, it is many that, who are in the churches that are sometimes blind to just how much they need mercy and are more wrapped up in how they look to everyone else. But Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, I'm going to read it for you. 
If any want to become my followers, if you want to come after me, then he says, let them deny themselves or turn from your selfish ways. Uh, Take up their cross, which is your instrument of execution, uh, even though we wear them as earrings, uh, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake, they're going to find it. Now, I would, I would say that this isn't normal for us. Uh, we're, our egos are not in the habit of giving up easily, right? They desperately want to hold on to life. They want nothing more to, than to assert themselves, make themselves bigger, and more at the center of everything. You know people like this, right? Where every, just about everything they say or do comes back to about being about them and like how they just made this huge deal and their, now their career is taking off and, and how like all the things that they have are all the things that you want and everything just kind of centers in and around them. Like that's the ego just saying, it's about me. It's all about me. And it just asserts itself. Yeah, I got a deal cooking. It's going to be huge. You know, you won't even believe it. You know, it's uh, these people, you've been around these people. But Jesus says, anyone who loses their life for my sake will find it. So there's this sense in which Jesus expects this one to take a while to sink in. And I would argue that it's still sinking in for a lot of us, especially me. But my hunch is that when it does finally sink in, you're really free to love people beyond the categories that you put them in. So the branches community here, us, in my in my peripheral vision, I can put my arms around all of you, us, here, is touted as a place, a church for people who don't go to church, right? And I know that some of you in here need the church. You need a place to belong, to be loved, to be accepted, to find freedom and ultimately transformation, because I think most of us want to grow. Most of us want to improve, right? Right? We're longing to be healed of our wounds from the past and the present. We desire to be less anxious, maybe, less stressed, less worried, more centered, more at peace, more alive, more joyful, and that maybe this is a place where that could happen. So I want to read a little story, and you can read along with me, that I think this illustrates what Jesus desires and where churchy people like me usually screw it up. Uh, This is from Luke 7. It begins in verse 36. This is one of my favorite stories in the Scripture. Uh, One of the Pharisees, again, we're talking about the Pharisees again, and we're talking about dinner again. I love it. So in our first passage we read, why is Jesus eating with these guys? Here we are at another Pharisee's, we're at the Pharisee's house this time. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house uh, and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment or perfume. She stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Let me just stop real quick right there. How many of you have little babies or kids or toddlers? Oh, they're there. Yeah. You've, we call them crocodile tears. At least I do when my kids, you know, they, she doesn't get to, like, 
I tell her she can have the things that she wants, and, you know, she starts crying. They cry for no reason. Like, I want it. I want a bar. No, you can't have a candy bar. Okay, you can have a candy bar. No, I don't want the candy bar. But you just said you wanted the candy bar. It just doesn't make any sense. But here come the giant tears down the face, right? And I'll put them on my shoulder, and then my shoulder's like wet, right? Now, I don't know about you in your adult life, how much you cry. But when I cry, it's like, you know, I can barely see it in the mirror. It's there. There's a tear. I know it's there. Uh, what kind of weeping and crying for an adult woman to do to bathe someone's feet? Right? That's a lot of crying. Something's going on with this woman. Her mascara, definitely running. Yeah, she's a wreck. She's a wreck. There is a wreck happening at his feet at dinner, right? Is anybody going to say anything about this woman who's like violently sobbing? It says weeping, but to get that kind of tears to bathe someone's feet, you got to be going, I mean, that's, unless she had some amazing tear ducts, I don't know. But just think about that. This is happening at dinner. She's bathing his feet with her tears, and to dry them, she's drying them with her hair which in the Middle East, the the ancient Near East, letting your hair down, that's an aggressive act of intimacy. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he'd know, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him, that she is a sinner. Now, This is where the Pharisee's heart is, right? He's, he's kind of like testing out Jesus. He's got him here. He's saying, man, if, if he knew, if he really knew what kind of woman this is, he'd know that, he, that she's a sinner, which makes this all the more scandalous, okay? This is a scandalous, you guys watch Scandal? Okay, this is like scandal for the ancient Near East, you know? Jesus is having dinner. This woman's a wreck at his feet, kissing his feet, putting perfume on perfume on him. She's let her hair down. It's, this is just crazy. And the, the Pharisee just cannot get past it. He's like, this guy's no prophet. He doesn't even realize that this woman, look at her. And then Jesus, it says, uh, Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. So some guy had a couple people that owed him money. One owed him 500 days wages. That's a lot of days wages. 500 days wages. And the other owed him 50 days wages. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. That's a nice creditor. I wish I knew that guy. Um, Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt Probably the guy who owed 500 is going to love him more. Simon, and Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman and put yourself in the room. I'm going to stand up here. I love this. I'm on stage. Turning toward the woman. Remember, he's at, he's at the dinner table. And this woman is behind him crying, weeping. He turns toward the woman, and I would imagine looks her square in the eye. 
and he has this conversation with Simon. Not looking at Simon, looking at the woman. And let's, let's just imagine. Turning to the worm, toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed me she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. He's saying this right into her eyes. Dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. For she has shown great love. She has loved much. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. And then he said to her, still looking at her, I assume, your sins are forgiven. And I, my hunch is he's got his gaze just fixed on her the whole time. And if I'm her, I probably can't even look him in the eye. Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can you imagine that scene? Not a great piece of gospel. The religious leader there. Pharisees. Pharisees are religious people who wrestle with God about mercy. Pharisees are religious people who wrestle with God about mercy. Pharisees in both stories are the religious people who wrestle with God about mercy. In the first, they're asking, why is he eating with these scumbags? Scumbags is the literal translation for tax collectors and sinners. Um, and in the second we just read, he's, he's having, Simon, the Pharisee, is having such a difficult time showing mercy to this woman. And we'll get more into that reality of that passage in a second. Now, I know that there are people, I I know how people are and how churches are. And some of you, it took all kinds of courage just to walk in here this morning. All kinds of courage to walk in here because of the tremendous amount of shame that you feel about something in your life. And you've, you've got so many walls up, so many defenses to keep you from being found out. Maybe a nice new shirt. This is not new. But it's some kind of defense. You've got walls up, and it took all kinds of courage to come here. And what we find in Jesus is the more that you show that you understand mercy and forgiveness, the more you experience the world the way God has ordered it. So the Pharisee moves about his world, mistaking his worth and wrestling with God about the issue of mercy. And the woman, she's also wrestling with worth too, her worth. But it's inside this story that, would, that Jesus would teach us that we would go and learn what this means, that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. You see, Simon knows a lot. He knows the scandal. But his knowledge takes him to a place where he becomes what? Judgmental. You have judged rightly, but not according to mercy. 
I was talking to a friend a while back who had made some colorful decisions in his life, what we might call bad decisions, uh, was kind of taking himself out of the community, kind of messing around with his girlfriend, and he had grown up in the church and known that like, it was kind of frowned upon to mess around with your girlfriend for church people. So I finally call him and get together with him. We sit down for a cup of coffee, and I said, what's the deal? Where have you been? And uh, he says to me, well, I just haven't felt comfortable coming around lately. I feel like everyone there is judging me and talking about me behind my back. Oh. Oh. Anyone in here ever broken the rules? Ever messed up? Ever broken the rules? And maybe it's not even like the church, not church rules. You broke some kind of friendship code at some point. At work, you did something that you just is not, you can't do that at work. You can't say that. You were in a group of people, you, you, you broke the rules of some sort of way. And so, you were so ashamed that you distanced yourself from those people. Oh, I just can't even show my face there right now because of what I said the other day to her. I'm just so embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Anybody ever been there? How many of you have that scenario in your head right now? See, in this place where mercy ought to be an oversupply, sometimes we find that our mercy has run out for certain people in our lives who need it most, and they feel it in their guts. Now, my friend that I met with has no evidence of people talking behind his back or judging him. But you can just feel it in your guts when you walk into a room. There's a sideways glance. There's an off, offhand comment, something. And immediately you, you feel shame and judgment being heaped upon you. I remember when I was in college and I was kind of wrestling with what church was all about and why do we do it and why do we go? And I... I kind of just stopped going for a while. I stopped going to church the way that we think about going to church on Sunday. Now, let me tell you what my life was like. I was in a discipleship group with, young, with, with some other young men that were holding me accountable to how I was living and my prayer life and those sorts of things. I was at a Christian college going to chapel three times a week, listening to speakers from all over the world, and I was... Uh, in a discipleship group where two older men from the community are pouring their lives into my life. And I was having fellowship with a lot of brothers that love Jesus as well. But I wasn't going on a Sunday morning to a service. And this, this person that I was having the conversation with says, oh, uh, I'm, I'm really worried about you. <laughs> like, you're really worried about me because I'm not showing up to a service on Sunday mornings. Even though I have all these kinds of fellowships, I'm learning from the Word on three times a week, all these kinds of things, and yeah, I'm really worried about you. What she equated was a healthy spiritual life was just showing up here every Sunday. Which, those two can correlate, I'm not going to lie, and I think it's good to be here. I want certain people here every Sunday, like, because it encourages me to see you, Okay? But she was being judgmental and mean. (laughs) 
and there was no mercy for my journey in trying to figure out what I was doing and why I was, why I was having issues. So it may very well be that good attendance means healthy connection to the body, but she may have been right, but she just wasn't loving. And there's this relationship between love and mercy, love and forgiveness. And Jesus simply says, the one who loves little, that person's been forgiven little. And this helps us navigating our world, okay? This will help you in your relationships throughout the rest of your life. It's important to understand that if we've been forgiven little, if we have little understanding of our debt, then it's, it's, there's a direct result of how we're going to love, and it's going to be this puny kind of love. The one who receives the greatest mercy in the story is the one with the biggest sense of debt. We would say, well, of course, the woman receives the most mercy, the most forgiveness. The, that's the woman. She has the greater debt. But Jesus doesn't make that his point. They both have debt. They both need forgiveness. The story shows us that she's aware of her debt, so she's able to receive much from Jesus. And the one who doesn't receive much from him is the one who doesn't really have that much debt that he'll acknowledge. See, to know more of yourself is to know more of who God is, and to know more of who God is is to know more of yourself, to be more in tune with who you are, your humanity, to open up your life and allow the brokenness to be known isn't to enter into some sort of therapeutic thing, but to allow the brokenness to be healed by Jesus, by the mercy of Jesus Christ. My friend Barry says this, and I'll say it twice. He says, there is little mercy. There is little mercy in a group of people who won't allow the brokenness to come to language so that the love of Christ can really begin to touch down in people's lives and they can begin to experience his mercy. There is little mercy in a group of people who won't allow the brokenness to come to language, to come to tears, to come to perfume and kisses, to, to get itself out so that the love of Christ can really begin to touch down in people's lives and they can begin to experience his mercy. He who has been forgiven little loves little. I have debt. You have debt. But to the degree that I acknowledge my debt, that is the degree to which I am able to be forgiven and, and, to, and, to show, and to have mercy, to receive mercy, and to show love. And that which I receive will be like that which I give. So if I haven't received much forgiveness because I'm not in tune with what my life is really like, then I'm not going to have much to give out. If I'm so busy maintaining my ego and how I look and how I come across to you because we present really well in our faces. We come in, we're smiling, it's good, my marriage is falling apart, I'm addicted to porn, I have an alcoholism problem, it's just great to be here with you this morning. <laughs> Things are great. Yeah, I'm going to go home and try and not contemplate suicide. Yeah, thanks. Praise Jesus. Is this not? This is reality. And all we can do is laugh. All we can do is laugh in the face of reality sometimes. I showed a clip years back of, of uh, Louis C.K., the comedian on Conan O'Brien, and he's talking about, you know how deep down inside, underneath everything, there's that empty, forever empty, that, it's, that, you're, you know, that you're all alone and it's all meaningless? And Conan's like, yes, yes. And the audience erupts in laughter. 
but these are our lives. And we're more concerned with maintaining our ego instead of just letting it die, receiving his mercy, and then being able to go out and really offer some love. So, when we finish singing and praying and then move to cleaning up and talking with our friends and moving on to getting on with Sunday fun day, uh, I want you to think about whether you're living from a place of mercy or sacrifice. And if I haven't made sacrifice clear to you, I'd say that that's like religiosity or following all the rules and being right all the time. Uh, if you're ever wondering about what Jesus wants from you or what he desires, it's mercy. And let me bring it real close to home for you here. Those of you, who's married in here? Two hands up. Yes, lots of hands when you put two hands up. Uh, who wants to be married? I'm sure if, if you desire to be married or you are married, this is real close to home. Let's just suppose, we're going to go into the hypothetical here. Let's just suppose your spouse or significant other makes some kind of mistake. This is going to be a stretch for some of you to imagine. Uh, let's just suppose they made some kind of mistake, an error, if you will. Uh, they forgot to pick up the dry cleaning, and now there's no clean clothes for the interview tomorrow. Uh, they got a speeding ticket. They had a minor accident with the car. Now, whatever it may be, some kind of error. You know, they backed into a telephone pole. Now, in that moment when you're with them, and they feel awful, they feel just absolutely awful about what they've done, right? You have a choice, as my friend says. You have a choice, Joyce. You have a Joyce choice. You can show mercy, or you can sacrifice them, okay? You can say, <laughs> you can say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I can see that you feel terrible. What it, it must just be weighing so heavily on you. I'm so sorry that that happened. You know? And you can show them love. You can show them mercy. And I'll, let me just say, 100% of the time when I do this in my marriage, I am met with surprise, humility, tenderness, love, gratefulness from my dear wife, Anna. When I show mercy, she's like, what is this strange thing called mercy? <laughs> but I am sad to say that those times are not the majority. The majority of the time, I am a kindergartner still learning what it means to show mercy and not sacrifice. And so I launch into some kind of lecture about how she should have done this and that and the other thing. And what really, well, if you'd been paying attention, well, if you'd watched, well, that's what the mirrors are for. And that's what, you know, there's a speedometer there and there's all these things like, duh, you know, and I just sacrifice her. Now, I may be right, but I'm not loving. And so I'm wrong. You follow? And then finally, some of you in here have tasted the mercy You've received it, but you haven't responded appropriately. <laughs> You're like the kid who gets like the new bike for Christmas, and his family like saved and saved all year long to give this kid the bike, and he gets the bike, and he's like, ah, what else did you get me? 
You've been there at Christmas, and you're like giving this gift to someone, and you're so excited to give it to them, and they open it, and they're like, yeah, what else do we get? What else is next? Anybody in here? Who was that kid? Right? You received, and you didn't respond appropriately. Look, you've been shown great mercy, and if you don't allow it to transform your pain, you will transmit your pain. If you don't allow the mercy to transform your pain, you will transmit your pain to others. So let the brokenness come to language. Speak it out. Get in touch with your own brokenness so that you can learn how to love those around you better and in the way that Jesus loves. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that, uh, Lord, we are religious people who wrestle with you about mercy. Lord, we want, we want to learn, and we need you to continue to teach us through stories like this of this woman who you showed great mercy to. Lord, I pray in our closest relationships that we would begin to practice this more and more. Lord, that I would begin to practice this more and more with Anna to show mercy. Because I'm in touch with my own brokenness and my own need, so much so that it it produces great love. And I pray that for each person in here. Let us be a community of mercy and grace and forgiveness that's in touch, that allow, a place for transformation where the wounds can come into the light and be healed and not hidden. We pray this in the powerful name of your resurrected son, Jesus. Amen.